those moments where you feel the most vulnerable or those moments where you think you can't are moments that you must surf through because it's a part of yourself that you need to heal in order to be able to keep walking in your life. Ready to embark on a journey of boundless creativity, purpose, and adventure as an artistic soul? Hey, I'm Lara Bianca Pilcher. I'm passionate about empowering artists like you to live out your creative dreams and nurture yourself at the core of your artistic journey. Let's explore the art of vibrant living and creative expression. As an artist, actor, writer, and showbiz educator with over 20 years of experience in the arts and entertainment industry across the globe, London, Australia, and now Atlanta, USA, I'm here to guide you through the mess and magic of this ever-evolving creative life. From performing on TV, film and stage to roles both on and off stage, my journey in the arts has woven a diverse tapestry of experiences. This positions me to help you navigate the path to unlocking the full potential of your artistic soul. Alongside my auditions, submissions and industry hustles, I've had the privilege of educating artists and living a joyful marriage with two wonderful kids. Expect genuine conversations from real-life lessons, struggles and triumphs that have shaped my journey. It's a journey I'm excited to share with you. This is your masterclass in how to craft a fulfilling, vibrant and art-filled life. Get ready for the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Artist Podcast, your key to unlocking the full potential of your artistic soul. Stay tuned for enlightening conversations, practical tips and inspiring stories that will elevate your purpose, adventure and creativity. Let's go. Today I'm chatting to Will Centurion who is a counsellor and life coach for actors, singers and dancers. As a dancer, singer and actor himself in the musical theatre industry, he has over 20 years of international experience. His numerous Australian theatre credits include the national tours of A Chorus Line, West Side Story, The King and I, The Lion King, Aladdin and In the Heights. He also appeared as part of the top 20 in So You Think You Can Dance Australia in 2010. After graduating from the Australian College of Applied Psychology, he retired from performing to focus on integrating his stage experience and knowledge of psychology to create mental health services that target the needs of performers. And boy, is that a needed area and an area that I share his passion in. He uses integrated therapies. He helps creative minds navigate the many challenges of the arts industry, managing issues like performance anxiety, self-confidence issues, negative self-talk, goal setting and career transitioning. He provides a platform where performers can access the resources they need to enhance their psychological well-being and enjoy sustainable careers in the arts. Welcome, Will Centurion. Good to see Hello. you, I'm Londoner. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to do an English accent. No, don't. <laughs> and so Will is now in London and we met in Melbourne, Australia, where you were working and still are online now, the, the whole coaching for actors, singers, dancers, counselling, just incredible. And now you are in the West End, really, like in London. Right. <laughs> I'm expanding. So tell me how that's been. Have you settled in? I have. It's, it's, it's been a bit of a, it was a culture shock. It was, you know, a huge readjustment. Um, I've been here about five weeks now, but it's a, it's a call to action to grow and remain flexible and adaptable and just roll with the punches and basically put everything that I talk about into practice. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that true? Nothing like a big stretching <laughs> in our life to make us grow. 
Practice what you preach, Will. Practice yeah. what you preach. I practice. That's so true. I feel like I can't have any um, problems now. You probably feel like that, like, oh, I can't suffer because I have to, like, be an advertisement. But, but that's not true. No, not, not true. What gets you out of bed in the morning these days? My self-care practice, in all honesty. I love my morning ritual. Um, I have a practice where I'll get my alarm will go off at about 6.30. I'll get out of bed roll out the yoga mat, I'll do some gentle stretches, then go into a little bit of a yoga practice. I listen to India RE. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and then after that, I roll my mat up, I sit on the end of it, I do a 10-minute meditation or I listen to her songversation meditation, which is beautiful. Mm. Um, do a little bit of self-reflecting, do a coffee ritual. Honestly, that's I look forward to that every single morning. Sunlight, fresh air, and my morning ritual. Melbourne coffee, now you're in London. I got to tell you where the good baristas are. Okay. I miss I, I'm down, I man. In Covent okay. Garden, there's a really good one. You've probably found that one. I'll tell you when we get off this call. But by the way, what is a coffee ritual? Um, just the, the practice of, you know, making the coffee in the morning mm. and um, sipping it, enjoying it, sort of being very kind of mindful with it, um, getting out a book, and, and reading a few pages while I enjoy my coffee. It seems so um, woo-woo, but, you know, there's just there's something renewing about um, surrendering to a morning practice and being engaged in it. I love how you said that because I do a very similar, I don't do the yoga bit in the morning um, or I go to the gym, but I do get up and I journal and I have a coffee yeah. and I love it. I feel like it really, you know, resets my day and helps me get yeah. in the right frame of mind. So I love that. Um, and you were, are you, were a dancer? You are a dancer. <laughs> you can't really say you're an ex-dancer because I think you're always a dancer, but obviously you enjoy movement because that was a big part of your past. I'm still right? a creative. I will, will won't always be, was once and will always be a creative. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful part of my day and I need it because the tube here is chaos. <laughs> it's like whose armpits do I want to smell today or the <laughs> Londoners listening? <laughs> Yeah, so oh, it's rough. Chaos, isn't so it? I need that practice to launch, launch off. It's it does feel like that's a real shock to the system, particularly if you grew up with a bit more space around you. Is the yeah. is the crowds of the overcrowding in London and the tube? And I, gosh, I hear you on that one. And you're lucky to get a seat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well done for doing that. But anyway, let's dig into working and studying in the performing arts. And you're working at Italia Conti now, I believe. Yeah. And it's it's a tough gig. Studying, I think, is sometimes just as tough for an art student, as you know, as somebody who goes into it. But what are the main challenges, like the main challenges in summary that you have seen so far in your work? Yeah, I think for youth there is a lot of issue around not having the tools to self-regulate, mm. not having the tools to manage emotion. It sort of goes from zero to 100 and then, you know, the coping style is that fight, flight, freeze, or flop, or fawn. Um, What's fawn? That so, one's new to me. Fawn? Yeah, fawn is when you sort of make yourself smaller. Oh, um, wow. You make yourself smaller in the space when you kind of dim your light mm. to fit in or to not get noticed or, or you know, to feel as though you belong. So I think the main issues are, you know, obviously you've got the comparison, you've got self-doubt, negative self-talk, but there's a real lack of, being able to self-regulate 
Mm, that's true. It's something we don't really in Western culture learn very well, unless mm -hmm. your parents modeled it to you. And obviously that's gotten better than it was in decades past. But regulating is huge. I mean, babies from, you know, birth, are, we're teaching them to regulate because they can't regulate yes. themselves. But yes. I don't think we realize we have to keep teaching children. That's you end up with youth that haven't learned. <laughs> the art of self-regulation and the art of co-regulation, I think mm. it's great, you know, that um, young people are reaching out for support. That's, that's co-regulation and that's really healthy. Um, but there's a real gap in, in the skills to self-regulate. So that would be one of the main things. And is there a second one, would you say, with maybe the working industry once they're out of students? Is it the same, would you say? It's um, expectations. It's the frustration around not getting instant gratification on your efforts um, or on your process. Um, there's a lot of, you know, before we even get into mental ill health, there's a lot of emotional ill health. That That's the problem. I think, you know, the mental health side of things, the anxiety, depression, self-harm, imposter syndrome, body preoccupation, they're all coping mechanisms for the fact that there is a real emotional health crisis. I love the way you said that. And I think the world is only just scratching the surface, isn't it, on taking ownership and making it affordable, um, mm -hmm. which different countries, and I'm talking to you in London, but you're from Melbourne and I'm in America, but different countries have different things set up. And I know that the UK does have some good support structures in place that enable yeah. both free physical treatment and some emotional care. Absolutely. But it's certainly, yeah, it's certainly not in every place valued and it's unaffordable, isn't it, for a lot of performers to be able to yeah. go get help. So what do performers do if, they, if that's them? What, like, what have you seen in your um, work in Australia, maybe, and in now in London, what have you seen as places that people can go for support? Yeah, so more and more services are coming about. Um, the Support Act helpline was a huge thing in Australia where any performer in crisis could call and get referred to, um, you know, a psychologist or whatnot or, or have their crisis situation dealt with in that moment. There was also, I think, funding through that too, um, there's organisations like Entertainment Assist, who's a wonderful charity that looks after entertainers as well, and they provided a lot of um, psychoeducation and webinars. And there's much of the same here in the UK. Um, the British Association of Performing Arts Mental Health, I think it is, BAPM, yeah. I might have gotten yeah, that wrong. The big, um, yeah, hard to say, yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they provide um, trauma-informed counselling, which I think is fantastic. Mm. Uh, they refer to physios as well. You can get a free physio session too. Um, you know, there's, there's services here that grant, you know, the same thing that they do in Australia, that sort of like mental health plan and, and the access to resources. But, you know, it's accessing mental health is expensive. It, it, it shouldn't be, but... It, it can sometimes feel a little out of reach, particularly for young people who can barely afford to pay for their accommodation, let alone, you know, the fee required to see a mental health professional. Yeah, which can be like 150 a session I've seen from my own experience of going. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but I do, I know that there is some other options, but generally speaking, it's still very, very expensive um, mm -hmm. for a lot of people. But thank you for sharing those other places that people can go. And I will put what I can in the show notes for people listening as well. But what do you see as the major psychological issues that affect actually performing the ability 
to perform on stage and do it at your you know performance potential what psychological issues are going to come and destroy that potential yeah um a, a lot of it has to do with trauma mm-hmm. i think the more that i've read about trauma and and kind of you know studied trauma um i did a professional development around trauma informed coaching uh, i think trauma creates a real barrier to people's potential and people's performance um these repressed emotions and these repressed experiences and not knowing how to heal those not knowing how to kind of integrate the wisdom that you've learned from those experiences into your present and helping that kind of launch you into the future makes a lot of people stuck mm. and if there's one thing that a creative doesn't like to feel it's stuck so i think trauma has a huge impact on people's ability and we're not doing enough work around that it's true i had a student my first year in america um i worked in a conservatory and there was a student who had a lot of trauma and it affected their performance every single day you know in their class their ability to um be calm and present and perform without striving and it's kind of you could see the direct relationship in their creative process so i mean that's mm-hmm. really huge and there was a lot of trauma in their past and being able to get them to calm down and not try so hard was was quite an art as well but would you say speaking of performance anxiety and performance related issues there's probably multiple but what would you say so far you've seen as one of the main root causes for performance anxiety like what's the underlying main question underneath a performer who's really struggling with anxiety on stage so if we think of performance anxiety as a coping mechanism and the intention of that coping mechanism is to keep you safe mm. so safe from the challenge safe from the threat safe from the effort safe from the obstacle um performance anxiety kicks in when the thing that you are facing or the thing that you are about to go into feels more than you or bigger than than what you are capable of and so its intention is to slow you down its t- intention is to keep you stuck its intention is to to make you retreat and keep you safe so you don't harm yourself and if we can get individuals to maybe not see every situation with such a high level of threat to not see every situation as a danger um you know to the point where it makes their system shut down or it makes this their system their nervous system defend itself then you're going to find people building things like resilience and grit and mm. and the ability to repair from challenge so yeah i think you know we need to sort of start seeing performance anxiety as a protective part of us that steps in when we are ill equipped and so if we are ill equipped what is it that we need to do to strengthen ourselves that's a very good words that you're giving this to articulate it what is one tool and obviously they can see you book a session with you but what's one tool that you have found is useful to give a performer that's about to go on stage and just falling apart on the inside yeah <laughs> easy um it's something called the compassionate hand so uh i learned this through the sort of trauma professional development that I did. And the the way the compassionate hand works is to kind of imagine your hand as being one of the kindest hands that you know. 
and placing your hand on your heart and closing your eyes and allowing yourself to sort of focus on the breath and remembering that that hand is on your heart and that it's there to support you. Um, using sort of, you know, slowing down your breathing and just using that mindfulness to regulate your nervous system and also using visualization. So imagining that that compassionate hand is kind of like injecting some green into your body and some green into those places where you feel stuck or overwhelmed or, or vulnerable. Um, that practice can have huge results, particularly if you need to have go from having a rigid nervous system into a flexible nervous system so that you can get on stage and deliver your performance. And this is so relevant because I think, I mean, obviously we've got the film and TV performers who are self-taping all the time, which to some extent keeps you sharp if you're getting enough volume of auditions. And obviously I think it varies volume-wise in a market like Australia to a market like London or Atlanta or LA or New York. So it depends where you live. But what's often hard for performers is in the musical theatre, triple threat world is the space between auditions and mm -hmm. feeling like you're out of, you know, the confidence comes from doing it and seeing that you can do it and doing it again. But when you're not doing it all the time and maybe you've had a year between bookings, that's mm -hmm. when I feel like the, the anxiety is going up. So, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a really great way to help them get back in, particularly after things like COVID um, and things that happen to, to put their hand on their heart. And you said green, that imagining. Tell me about what green symbolizes. That's lovely. Yeah. So green, uh, I, we use the traffic light system. Um, it's got a lot to do with polyvagal theory yes. um, and, the, and, and the vagus nerve. So the, the red, yellow, green traffic light system is just an indication of where your nervous system is at. Um, red, obviously, meaning that your nervous system is stuck or it's, it's immobile. Um, yellow, meaning that your nervous system is um, activated or sort of quite heightened um, and in a sort of a defense mode. And green being where your nervous system is adaptable and it's free and it's flexible and it can just kind of like go with the flow. So tuning in, that kind of tuning in and, and recognizing where your nervous system may be in the face of a challenge or in the face of a, um, uh, a goal can be a big indication as to how you are approaching the situation. And obviously your best performance is going to come from a nervous system that is flexible and adaptable. I love that. That's, that is actually so, so, so true for someone. I'm still doing this and I often have to really calm down my nervous system because I know it's sometimes a, a response that you feel like you don't have a say over, but you're giving us like really practical tools to actually say, I can calm my nervous system down yeah. and it's fight, flight, and all of the other F's <laughs> response. <laughs> we could add a lot of more F's to that, but not appropriate ones. <laughs> um, tell me too, how do you know the difference between whether someone needs life coaching mm. or counseling? Yeah. So a lot of, Coaching is very much about moving forward and working with a person who is able to move forward, who is ready to move forward. Whereas counseling is very much being about being stuck in a story or stuck in an experience where you still need to kind of process, you still need to create some clarity or you still need to create some closure. So depending on what that person has presented, I can tell whether they're in sort of a counseling experience or they're in um, a coaching experience. And you know, the aim is to never push anybody 
in, to move in a direction that they're not ready to go because otherwise it's not organic and you actually might be doing more damage than, than good. So I think, um, yeah, coaching is very much about being in a position where you are able to place one foot in front of the other and continue to make traction. That's really great. And I think um, you've probably had lots come in for life coaching and you're like, you really probably need to book some counselling sessions because it's these things that are holding you back. And it's lovely that you do do both. Do you have any case study examples? Obviously, we're not allowed to mention names of anyone that stands out to you without mentioning <laughs> any private information. Um, that is a great story that you can remember of somebody that has come in with something and you've been able to help and see transformation. Yeah, so I think, let me see, I, I, I really do want to depersonalize this, but I remember someone coming in for coaching, a performer coming in for coaching, and as they were sort of unpacking their experience, I had to make a bit of a decision. And, and it is a tough one for me because I will always want to coach. I will always want to help someone kind of move forward. So it's a bit of a tough experience for me to make that call, but I felt it was in the client's best interest to make them aware that they were very much stuck in a story. Mm -hmm. And and because I recognized that loop, the idea of being able to move forward was going to be difficult. So I said to them, um, you know, just judging by what I'm hearing, I'm thinking maybe some counseling work might be helpful um, rather than sort of moving into a coaching space just yet so you know is that something that you might consider or is that some some work that you might be able to do and they immediately said to me oh you know um that's so disappointing I thought I was strong or I thought I was stronger than this and and that again to me is an indication of the fact that this person may require some reinforcement first before diving into a coaching uh experience so yeah that, that's a bit of an indication, you know, based on what a person is saying and what a person is feeling as to whether they're in a counselling or coaching lane. That's actually really great advice because I think sometimes it can be, that can be a little cloudy as to which direction to go. Let's talk about mindset coaching because that's another, you know, part of this whole lovely family. What would you say is the characteristics of a great mindset for a performer? Being intentional. That's that's the the thing that I'm I'm still learning, I'm still grasping, and I'm still um, integrating is that mindset coaching or, or or mindset is about being intentional. It's courage. It's it's sorry. It's um, fear and facing the challenge anyway. It's vulnerability and still making the choice. It's not knowing where to go and following through with a decision. That's that's mindset. That's an athlete's mindset. That is a high-performing athlete's mindset is I have to keep moving forward here. I have to take an action. I have to take a decision because where I'm going requires the next step, a next step. Mm, so, so true because I think after you see with seasoned, I think seasoned performers, you know, we could call them seasoned warriors because there is a sense that to keep getting up and fighting and keep putting yourself out there, it takes this growth mindset mm -hmm. that, like you've said, um, allows you to explore new ideas and take informed risks towards goals, no matter how many times you've been 
knocked down. <laughs> and do you think too there's an element in the industry where it really takes going through it to be able to get the resilience that you need? You have to. You you have to surf through the uncomfortable. One of the 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 gems that I got from um, uh, Maston Kip. He's a, a a wonderful trauma informed coach. And Maston said that uh, those moments where you feel the most vulnerable, or those moments where you think you can't, are moments that you must surf through because it's a part of yourself that you need to heal in order to be able to keep walking in your life. Wow. Yeah, pretty. Like, it's just life-changing. It's like this tough conversation I don't want to have, this difficult decision I don't want to make, um, saying no when I feel like I need to say yes. All of those things are experiences you must move through in order to heal the parts of yourself that get stuck there so that you can move forward into the next level of your life or career. Gosh, I just had a, I don't want to have a conversation this morning with someone. <laughs> I, I didn't want to have the conversation because I didn't want them not to like me. And I was like, that is not a valid reason. <laughs> Move past it, be uncomfortable, have the conversation. Yeah, um, yeah that is, that is, it takes growth, game changing, doesn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's, game changing. We have to risk the rejection. We have to risk the not being liked. We have to heal the younger parts of ourselves that, that want to be, liked and loved by everyone we have to heal that part so that we can approach our business or approach our careers um, with intention mm, very very true and would you say um dancers who need to adapt constantly to change manage stress do you you have a course i think you're teaching uh, rtp can you yes. explain a little um not just for dancers but what is RTP, resilience training, um, and what's sort of the core fundamentals of what's involved in that course that or that teaching you do? Thank you so much for mentioning this. It's it's something new. It's my baby, something new that I created <laughs> and, and something that I hope to, to deliver here in the UK and in Australia and anywhere else in the world. Uh, so my resilience training program basically is made of five modules and I do hope I remember these on the spot. <laughs> I'll see if I wrote them down. Oh, actually, yeah. you might. I think I have them <laughs> so um, I can feed them to you. Mm -hmm. Managing injury, managing feedback, performance, anxiety. Uh, it is resilience building and there's one more. Self-aware. Uh, Self-awareness. Self-awareness. Yep. Yeah. Look yep. at me yep. doing my research. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But, but tell me, so those are the kind of core things that you've obviously seen from your years of counseling and coaching performers and artists and these things you've put into actually being able to take in as a, as a course or a program. Mm -hmm. As a program, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I delivered it. I was lucky enough to deliver it in Australia at uh, a theatre school called Brent Street. Uh, they had me in for five weeks and I basically did one unit per week with every dance discipline stream they had there, so ballet, contemporary, performing arts, music theatre, and I think there was one more. So it was it was a busy five weeks but good on them for integrating this at the beginning of their year because it really empowered students with the tools that they needed to manage everything that was going to come. Yeah, that it's so necessary and that's the thing they, they might not realise they needed at the time. I'm sure you, you've seen this, but as they go out into careers, I'm sure they'll have to return to this, this training because mm. it's really like you see 
I've seen even students that love the arts come in to do three-year degrees and hardly cope. Um, And so it's great in that context, but then also as you get out and you're, like you said, you have these goals for your life and these dreams and then they're delayed or you don't hit them straight away and it's being able to build the toolkit within yourself. I love what you're doing. I think it's so needed. You just just, (laughs) literally right now you just sparked a light bulb in me because I have an RTP for students, but I've never, I'm yet to create an RTP for professionals and they would be different. Yeah, they, they would. would. Yeah. But, but, so but have you. some of the core foundations is the same thing. I love that. You you go for it. You, you're doing fantastic stuff. And there's so many artists. It's like one of the things when I moved to London years ago, I was like, oh, my gosh, everyone is like me. I was like, there's a million of me. Not like they look like me. They're like white Caucasian women. I meant there's so many driven performers. Yeah. The volume yeah. is enormous. Yeah. Um, we are, it's palpable, isn't it's it? Pal- that, like, that and it's age. a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, of of creativity and oh it's just so ch- it just charges you but also consumes you because there is sometimes you forget there is a world out there outside <laughs> you know of this rejection sort of cycle that everybody's going through around you or hustling for making it in the industry so I think it's it's definitely got bonuses and not so much <laughs> some negatives in there as well what do you see taking students out the most like knocking them out of either being in conservatory, being in training or being in the industry at all or just completely losing their creative passion, mm-hmm. what's the main thing that kind of will knock someone straight out of what they thought was going to be a career? So this is something that I just learned and something that I'm starting to be able to articulate and that is not knowing what season you are in. Now, what I mean by that is uh, our lifetimes are made up of seasons, summer, autumn, winter, spring. Winter is very much about recovery. Spring is about renewal, rejuvenation, and summer is about performance. Let's just skip autumn for now. (laughs) Um, And I think what happens is a lot of creative people, a lot of performing artists, actors, singers, dancers, circus, whatever you might have, are in a winter season, yet they're trying to perform as if they are in their summer season. They're not listening to what their body is saying. They're not listening to what is actually needed for the season that they are in. So let's say, for example, injuries, Uh, knowing that you have an injury uh, and rather than accepting or embracing uh, the fact that you are in winter, uh, having an injury and trying to perform as if you are in summer. Mm. Does that make sense? I love that because I think performers and artists are visual learners and you create this beautiful picture with that kind of way of thinking that, allows you to say hey it's you don't always have to be in summer i'm thinking of olaf right now but you know it doesn't always have to be summer and it's okay because life's not that way yeah and embracing those seasonal changes is actually a beautiful thing to be able to do because yeah. there is when you do that isn't there there's something to be learned and some joy and something wonderful in each season that we go through like everybody was saying they loved the break of the global pandemic not everybody but a lot of people Mm -hmm. that had been hustling for so many years to book was so grateful for a break 
That's it. They were in their winter, their winter season, and for some people, it may have even been a spring where they you could slow down, you could rejuvenate, repair, recalibrate, renew. That's the season that you were in, and and I think the people who made the most of that opportunity were the ones who were listening to what kind of segment they were in the middle of. Um, so yeah, you know, it, there's no point in if you've got an injury or or any kind of hindrance or anything that you kind of need to work through, just be conscious of the season that you are meant to be in and do the work as if you are in the work that's required for that particular season. Very, very good. It's kind of like a, a good relationship. It's like it will have different seasons over the years, and but you have to do the work in each one in order to keep it fruitful. And I think we have to approach our performing and creativity in the same way um, rather than <laughs> and performance is so good at denying winters because there's a sense of shame that shouldn't be there because sure. it's not like 95 percent of actors are out of work at one time so it shouldn't be <laughs> that you feel shame because you're going to be like everybody else aren't you when you're going through that tell me a few ways a performer can rewire repair and reboot and I've, I think you've got things like confidence and self-care and catching the inner critic, recovering from disappointments and persisting in the face of challenge. What is one of those that you would say helps to rewire, repair and reboot, which I love your words there, mm -hmm. that process? I think co-regulation. We, are, as creative people, are so used to doing it on our own. We're so used to just trying to grit our teeth and get through it and you know even though we may be bleeding emotionally like let's just let's just go let's just keep pushing let's 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 hit that wall and co-regulation is so important it's learning when to reach out for a coach or when to reach out for a counselor or when to reach out for a psychologist or when to reach out for a psychiatrist co-regulation is such an important part of continuing to move forward so for anyone who requires to, you know, rewire, repair, reboot, co-regulate, find a way to co-regulate, reach out to someone who can offer you that kind of support or that kind of insight or those kinds of skills. Um, find your reliable others who are going to help you get through that period so then you can go back to self-regulating. It's very good. I was actually with a performer just last week and there's a strike um, in the writer's strike, which has totally affected the volume of um, acting work for everybody. As in there's mainly reality TV castings and that's it because you're not allowed to do anything new that's part of the union. And everyone's like, oh, use this time to, you know, work on your kid and, you know, work on getting new material and work on your CV and work on new headshots and yada, yada, yada. And I said to this person, how about use this time to work on how you're going to survive this next part of your life because you're already really struggling emotionally. Yeah. Um, and, and the support that, that's required, the support that will be required to yeah. survive. Yes, setting up life. a better system and things around you because it's that's the kind of thing everyone will pay a lot of money performers listening to you know get the next secret key to get to book the next job but they won't necessarily invest what's actually where the value and quality of their life is which is in their brain <laughs> now i find this really interesting because i think covid should have taught us that that unexpected covid gap or that unexpected covid break should have taught us what life 
can be about when we aren't fused to our creativity. Mm. And there, and I, I probably shouldn't be using shoulds, but I'm going to. Do it. Um, you know, <laughs> we should have learned a lot of skills. We should have gained a lot of insight. We should have embodied some coping mechanisms. And so it's interesting that this writer strike is not unlike a COVID break or a COVID gap in that many people now need to reintegrate that learning of what is life like without work? What is life like without money coming from that source? What is life like without that kind of purpose? Um, you know, we should be better prepared for something like this because we've just gone through a global pandemic and mm -hmm. you've had to learn about how to cope in life without the fusion of you and your creativity. I love the way you say that because I think we so often um, fuse our entire sense of well-being into our creativity, don't we? As artists, it's very common and I speak for the body of all performers. Um, what's a healthier way to approach like that divide without fusing our whole identity and existence into it? What would you say would be a healthier approach to seeing our art and performance? I think there's a difference between being with an experience and being in an experience. They're two completely different things. When you are in an experience, you might um, have blinkers on. You might not have a growth mindset. You might have a really sort of fixed mindset. Um, this is all I need. This is all I am. This is what I do. This is all that's required. And so you're really chopping off that growth mind perspective, that growth mindset perspective and the ability to remain flexible and adaptable and think on the spot and invent on the spot. Um, being with the experience allows you to be an observer. It allows you to reflect. It allows you to come up with multiple options and multiple solutions. And, you know, it, it, it allows you to flow. Mm. So it's knowing when you are to in an experience and when it might be time to sort of create a healthy gap um, mm. and step back a bit and defuse and become the observer and have a growth mindset perspective and de-roll and, you know, how would I approach this as a muggle? How would I approach this as a human? Um, do I always need to look at life through the creative lens? That's really cool because I was in New York last year and we had to come up with a statement at the end of this Broadway workshop thing. And one person said, I un, um, embrace the unfolding. Wow. And I just, wow. just sat with me for a minute because you used the word, the flow. Um, but that whole thing about a creative career and embracing the unfolding of uncertainty it just was such a beautiful visual moment that just sort of resonated so beautifully with me. And it's something that I kind of say each day now, like to, to embrace that, that adventure, the unfolding of uncertainty, all of it, like really you're signing up for that in, in this industry. Understanding that it's part of it. Um, rejection is a part of it. Sadness is a part of it. Grief and loss is a part of it. Self-doubt is a part of it. Self-sabotage is a part of it it's 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 the parts of ourselves that we need to kind of scoop up and bring forward with us as opposed to sort of like parts of ourselves or parts of the experience that you want to spend all your energy in trying to push away 
People don't learn that. You just said such a profound thing. <laughs> People don't learn that that's part of this. Mm-hmm. What we learn is red carpet and stardom is part of this. The goal, the ultimate want. But the we don't learn the other stuff. And I know mm-hmm. you're going into schools and teaching this um, into conservatories and things. And well done, Natalia Conti, for having you there. But as a as a generalised saying, it's not taught enough, is it? Um, that this is actually what the career is, is what you're signing up it's, for. It's the idea that a successful career in the arts is one that is void of rejection. It is one that is void of self-doubt. It is one of that is void of anxiety. And, and that's not what a successful career in the arts is. It's, it's one that embodies all of that and it still remains on purpose. That's really good. That as like we feed on something that I think is just such a beautiful uh, conversation and, and so very needed still for many performers, particularly early on that don't know this yet. <laughs> but for those of us that are going through it, that it's not wrong to be struggling with all the things we do because it's all part and parcel of this business mm-hmm. and what we've signed up for and embracing that unfolding. I mean, it's a really beautiful thought. On that note. Is there ever a time that you would advise a performer to quit the industry if they're wanting to? Obviously, you wouldn't say it out of the blue, but if they're questioning you, under what circumstances should someone walk away and go, this isn't for me? God, that is such a good question. Um, it's difficult to answer in, in because of the fact that I, I don't see quitting as being finite. Mm. I see quitting as something that you might have to do in that particular moment or in that particular context or at that particular stage of your life. But there's always an opportunity for repair after every rupture. So, you know, the idea that I'm going to walk away and that means for life says who? you might just need to walk away for a while or you might just need to slow down or you might need to pause or you may need to stop for a bit, but that doesn't necessarily have to be forever. And when you do, and if you discover something else that you are passionate about, something else that becomes purposeful for you, then go in that direction. There's no failure there. All you've done is pivoted your creativity from one lane into another, you're still a creative. So, so good and so true. And it takes the pressure off the feeling of, you know, maybe I need failure, that I didn't make it, therefore I'm going to leave this industry and feel like I've quit. Maybe it's not forever. I love that. Um, Do you think that generally on the flip end of that, performers are doing being performers for the right reason as as a body overall? What are the right reasons to become a performer versus sometimes the not right reasons that we don't realize are actually underneath our choice to be performers? Which is probably like 85% of us are probably doing it for the wrong reasons, right? (laughs) You're smiling. (laughs) In relation to what it is that you choose to do in your life, there's a big difference between approaching it through intuition and approaching it through trauma. If you're approaching it through trauma, you are trying to heal something by getting something. That's that's approaching a career or a job or a goal or an objective through trauma. If you are approaching it through intuition, it may be about, maybe it's about giving. 
Maybe it's about being of service. Maybe it's about sharing the story, sharing uh, the, the, the role, sharing the scene, sharing the song, sharing the choreography. And it's very, very different to needing to get something. Mm. So I hope that answers your question um, in terms of like, how do I know if I'm doing it for the right reasons? Well, is it a decision or an action based on intuition? Or is it a decision or an action based on trauma? That's a really good question because I dare say I would imagine, and I don't have the data right now in this on the table, but I would dare say a lot of people come into it wanting to get some sort of fame or success or celebrity or accolade. Yeah, um, because but that's majority of performers will never get that. And it makes me think knowing that would you still sign up for such an uncertain career um, because there's obviously people in there that are really there for the right reason they really genuinely love artistic expression in this particular way um, so yeah that's a really great way to sort of sit with it's an uncomfortable question but definitely not one I would lead with <laughs> but still oh. one that I think is really valid because the volume of people wanting to be performers is huge the volume knowing that there's not much work for the volume yeah. that's going in. So it makes me question why, you know? Yeah, I love what you said that you use the word wanting. A lot of people come into this wanting and there's a difference between wanting and sharing or wanting and experiencing. You know, experiencing, it's it could come and go, it could happen, it could not happen, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, it's the same with sharing. I know it's not mine, I don't own it. It, it, it comes and it goes and it's transactional. Um, whereas wanting, there's a, an underlying need to get, mm. and that's a very, very different to get or to satisfy. And that's a very, very different motivation. Mm, not a good one. I would dare say having been through seasons of really looking at my own motivations, cause I've done this for 20 years now and, and not left it, but had seasons where I'm like, do I still love this? And I've just needed a break. Um, or needed to just have some time where I'm not doing it. Like when I first got to the US, I wasn't allowed to do it because of my visa. Um, right. Like you're familiar with those sorts of things. And I'm like, here I yeah. am. Finally well, I'm not here. allowed to cancel here in the UK. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to be a counselor here in the UK until all of that paperwork is resolved. So right now I can only be a coach. Well, actually I can be a coach and I can also be Will. Oh my goodness, you and Andrew would have it. My husband, as you know, um, everybody listening has done an episode in performance and injury, but he, you know, no matter how great your CV will, which is amazing, no matter how great Andrew's CV, which is amazing, he hasn't been allowed to license um, because of the differences in the systems. So it's been such a process and he's it's still ongoing and he will get there, but it's been crazy. <laughs> how was that for you? Sorry, because I did interrupt your story, but, yeah. but getting there, not being able to practice, like what, what came from that? I loved it actually. <laughs> I mean, there was this part of, I needed the break at the time because at that point I think I'd been going nonstop for probably a decade apart from COVID, which you and I both know in Melbourne was fierce. <laughs> Let's leave that conversation behind. <laughs> it was fierce. Um, and, and the world is, is often asking how we are, but we're okay. We're still here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, at that point, I was forced to not do it. Um, and I thought that would be really hard, but then I realized the forced break made me create something else, wow. something wow. beautiful, 
which is my current business, I spent every day, I don't know, with creative people, I went into this vortex of creativity and I found something else to pour myself into that nobody saw, but I was day after day busily working behind the scenes and then, you know, launched larabiancapilcha.com, which is the business, which I hadn't been doing prior, rebranded the podcast and just focused on legacy and purpose and contribution and offering value to the world instead of what I can get. And it was actually a beautiful Mm -hmm. death. (laughs) Funny Uh, way to say it. Love that. Yeah. And I think I've never been happier. And I've just signed in the last few weeks with my first US agent and I'm allowed to work again. I'm allowed to work, but I'm just like, my identity is not just performing anymore it's like i've got these other things that bring me joy that don't put all the pressure on what i book or don't book um yeah there's so much more joy in my life um as a result of being forced out so yes if you are forced out use it to find something else like that brings you joy and adds value to this world that's my my advice there um all right let's close with you've got this beautiful freebie on your website, which is five self-care tips for performers. So you can go mm-hmm. to willcenturion.com. It doesn't have an AU in there, does it? No, it's uh, mrwillcenturion.com. There you yep. go, easy. Um, and you've got this beautiful download with five beautiful things. So self-care tips. And I'll just read you the, the tip, Will, and then tell me like one sentence that explains. I know that it's more than that, but like one sentence that comes to your mind about it. So the first one on there is know your limits. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Being able to say no, uh, being able to slow down, uh, that whole recognizing burnout before it occurs, um, you know, again, knowing what season you are in and how that influences the way that you perform or the way that you deliver. Mm, good. And number two on there is understanding your triggers. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's two great words that I learned that really sort of encompass where triggers come from. So one is your your interoception, which means the awareness of your internal world, um, the thoughts, feelings, patterns, stories, uh, the defaults, all of those things that occur within you and, and recognizing when they are kind of flaring up or when, when they are coming to the forefront. Um, and neuroception is the other one that I learned, which is your relationship to your environment. So, um, you know, people, places, situations, experiences. So, you know, your triggers are going to come from having a good awareness, a good interception. So good awareness of your internal world, the way you think, feel, think, act, and your neuroception, your relationship to your external world. Um, To what degree do you see people, places, or things as a level of threat? Mm, That's actually so good because it's internal and external. Number three was practicing good self-care. And I know there is a fake kind of view of self-care generally, what it really is, like getting a pedicure. Um, But good self-care is a little deeper than that, right? (laughs) I got schooled on this because I I did call, you know, I was used to going into workshops and saying, getting your hair did and, you know, 
buying a fresh pair of kicks or a cool pair of jeans is not self-care. And someone said, why? And I was like, because uh, uh, it's not. Uh, but why if it's a part of my practice? And I went, well, so it can be. That along with a lot of other practices can be self-care. So, you know, I've learned now to not sort of dismiss that completely. You know, let's let's welcome those things as a part of your self-care ritual. And generally self-care practices are things that give you renewal. So maybe that's why I used to say it. It's like, you know, buying something nice or something shiny or getting your hair done gives you a boost. Um, doesn't necessarily give you a renewal. You know, it might for some, it might not for others. You know, let's leave it open to interpretation. But self-care practices are things that you do that give you a sense of renewal. Boost versus renewal. Very, very cool way to think about that. Fantastic. Okay. The effort reward balance, creating that. Tell me about that one. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that was a big factor in why I changed careers and went into the mental health sector. The effort reward balance in being a performer was out of out of sync. It felt hard. It was emotionally taxing, psychologically taxing, physically taxing, socially taxing, um, you know, yeah, how many other, you know, taxing things were there. But that that idea that I so I, I offer this and in return I get this back, that was just completely out of sync. It just it felt hard. It felt like a struggle. It felt like there wasn't as much return as there used to be. So being aware of that effort-reward balance is particularly important for performers because this is a very taxing industry that we are in and you want to feel as though there is a transaction there. Very true because often it feels one way. Um, so, yeah, creating that, being intentional about creating it, very good advice. And the last one on there before we finish up is learn to de-roll and be you. What does that mean for a performer? The most important part of self-care is knowing when to take the performer hat off or knowing how to take the performer hat off and giving yourself the time to just be you, to be an authentic version of you that has nothing to do with being on stage, that has nothing to do with that sort of acting, singing or dancing parts of yourself. Um, Derolling is important. It's something that we have to do as therapists in order to be able to do our best work. I can't uh, be thinking about my cases. I can't be thinking about my clients 24 seven um, and all the way through the weekend and expecting to go back on a Monday and um, being able to, you know, support them or offer good advice or, or or guide them or, you know, whatever it may be that they require. So de-rolling is really important, uh, a really important practice to do as an actor, singer, dancer, to step away from the performer hat, to just be yourself and then be able to come back to it with a sense of empowerment and rejuvenation. Good advice. And you know what I really love is the way that you've married your career as a performer with now this giving back. And it's obviously a career pivot, but it's one that hasn't thrown away your creative journey and you've made use of many lessons learned. And I I just think 
that's a beautiful thing to do with your life, even though it's not without its challenges. <laughs> and particularly now as you're sifting through visas and changes and things, I wish you all the best for that. That's the thing. It's that there is no such thing as failure because it, it, even even people who train in acting, singing and dancing and sort of, you know, don't do uh, a commercial production or don't book a cruise ship or whatever it is that your your goal is, even if that doesn't come to fruition, there's nothing you've done and nothing that you've learned that is a waste of time or a waste of energy or effort. It's all transferable. Whatever, you know, career it is that you decide to go into next, you will be the best teacher you can be because of the, that time and those hours um, you will be the best businessman you can be because of that time and those hours. You will be the best practitioner you can be because of those 20 years of experience. So there's no failure. What we learn to do is take the knowledge and the wisdom that we gain from that training um, or, or that career and, you know, um, integrate it into another part of our life. Such a good closing statement <laughs> nothing's wasted just a beautiful thing and it's it's really true and i mean you're living proof you're, you're a lived experienced practitioner <laughs> you know um having walked it out you've got authority in this field that not everybody can have in the mental health area with performance because you really do understand performance <laughs> so thank you. it's really beautiful so thank i say you. thank you to you and thanks for chatting to me today <laughs> Phew, today's masterclass is done. I love reaching back and saying I've done this and helping you learn the easy way. If you want more, head to larabiancapilcher.com for show notes, links, freebies, my blog, coaching and courses. And you can also head to my socials, larabiancapilcher on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also on Twitter and Pinterest. Thanks again for listening please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean the world to me. And of course, keep on living the healthy, wealthy, wise artist living towards your dream life. Bye, friends. P.S. Shout out to my hottie hubby, Andrew Pilcher, who does all the editing on this podcast. <laughs>